is Brother Larry Cockerham, and this morning we're looking at uh, Revelation, the seven churches. And I want to read just a verse here in chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Uh, someone has mentioned the key to the book of Revelation is here in verse 19. Uh, we see in verse 19 three different uh, segments uh, or divisions of the book of Revelation. Uh, John says, write the things which thou hast seen. Uh, this is chapter 1 where John saw uh, the risen Christ there in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which represents the churches. And the things which are, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning, the seven churches, covers the whole church age, chapters 2 and 3. And then the things which shall be hereafter covers chapters 4 through 22. So there's your threefold division uh, of the book of Revelation. And the interesting thing about the seven churches, they have several different meanings. I believe it was Layman Strauss had written a book about the mysteries of the Bible, and he compares the seven churches and the uh, seven parables, which was a very interesting study. But here in uh, the book of Revelation, we see the seven churches. Uh, uh, we begin with the church of Ephesus and go through the church of Laodicea, the seven churches. And uh, according to Layman Strauss, there is a primary association. First of all, there is a local and direct bearing upon the church. In other words, these were seven actual churches that existed during the time that John wrote the book of Revelation there in Asia Minor. They, they were only 30 to 75 miles apart. They sort of made a semicircle. These were actual churches, and the messages that you have here in uh, chapters 2 and 3 uh, were actual messages that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to these seven churches. In other words, these were seven actual characteristics that he wanted to bring out. Uh, each of these seven churches, uh, the names have a representative meaning as well. But there was a primary association. In other words, these were seven actual churches uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, uh, dictating to. Now, there uh, is a personal application these seven churches, the different uh, characteristics, applies to every individual. In other words, you can read these seven churches and find something there that will apply to you, such as the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. And so we can ask ourselves the question, where are we in our relationship or fellowship, that is, uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we left our first love? Then there is the church of Laodicea which uh, was in danger of lukewarmness, self-sufficiency, uh, an apathy. We see so many churches like that today, and we might ask ourselves a question. Are we indifferent? Are we apathetic? Or are we lukewarm? There is a personal application with each of the churches. And then there's a prophetic anticipation. Uh, Laban Strauss and many others saw where there were seven ages in the life of the church from Pentecost to the rapture. So if you take each church uh, represented in chapters two and three, we find they represent a certain segment 
of the church age. We find the church of Ephesus uh, existed from about 30 to 60 or 160 AD. And then the church of Smyrna, the uh, persecuted church, uh, existed from about 160 to 312, uh, the rise of the emperor Constantine. And then the church of Pergamos from about 312 to 606 uh, AD. And then there is the church of uh, Thyatira, one of the longest letters, uh, existed from about 606 to 1520, that was the Church uh, of the Dark Ages, the Church of Thyatira. Then there is the Church of Sardis uh, from about 1500 to about 19 or 1750. This was the Church of the Reformation, or existed after the Church of the Reformation. Remember uh, Martin Luther nailed the 95. A thesis to the uh, door of the Wittenberg Church there in Germany and started the Protestant Reformation. And then there is the Church of Philadelphia, which many see as the true church, existed from about 1750 uh, to 1950. And from there on, uh, from 1900 to about, well, actually where the day of the Lord or the tribulation begins, the Church of Laodicea. And so these are the seven churches that exist or, uh, during this 2,000-year uh, period of the church age. So it's good to know each one of these churches. We don't really have time to go into a lot of detail, but the church of Ephesus was in danger of losing uh, their first love. And we, can, we always need to examine ourselves to see where we're at in, in our fellowship with the Lord. He, he says here concerning the church of Ephesus in verse 5, he says, chapter 2, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The Lord is uh, exhorting us to remember those first works. In other words, those things that we did when we first got saved. We were growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, witnessing, studying, giving our tithes and offerings, doing all those things that uh, brought us closer to the Lord. But he says, remember. And uh, then he says to repent. You know, repentance is just not for the lost person. Repentance is for the church uh, as well. And not only to repent, but to repeat. In other words, do those uh, first works that we had uh, when we first got saved. And then not only that, he said, or I will remove thy candlestick. And this is what happened to the church of Ephesus. Eventually, uh, they lost their ministry. And this can happen to any church. It can happen to an individual. So there's the church of Ephesus, the danger of losing our first love. Then the church of Smyrna, the danger of fear of suffering. In other words, uh, they were the persecuted church under the emperors of Rome. The church of Pergamos. The church of, per church of Pergamos, there was a danger of doctrinal compromise. Uh, one of the characteristic uh, individuals in this particular church uh, mentioned in the text is the doctrine of Balaam. The doctrine of Balaam, doctrinal compromise. We see this 
uh, so much uh, in our churches today, uh, so much compromise with the Word of God. I think I saw just the other day where there's a new Bible out, <laughs> a new Bible that omits Israel, at least from the New Testament, God's people. God still has a plan and purpose for Israel, but they have omitted Israel from the Word of God. Then there's the Church of Thyatira, the longest letter. They uh, are characteristic of a church that has the danger of moral compromise. One of the individuals mentioned in this text is uh, Jezebel. And of course, this had to do with doctrinal, or not doctrinal, but moral compromise. And we know when we go back in the Old Testament, Jezebel introduced immorality and idolatry into the nation of Israel. So Thyatira, the danger of moral compromise. Many believe that we have the spirit of Jezebel in our society today. I wouldn't doubt that. Then there's the Church of Sardis. We mentioned that it represents the uh, church that existed during the Reformation. One of their dangers was spiritual deadness, uh, mere outward appearance, but no inward reality. They were busy as bees, but they were spiritually dead. A lot of churches like that today. Uh, you know, we can use our busyness, as I mentioned here a few weeks ago, uh, for a substitute for our fellowship with the Lord. And then there's the Church of Philadelphia. Many believe this is a, a type of the true church that will one day be caught up. In other words, they were enduring with patience. Three different things here. There was opportunity. There was an open door. I believe in many countries we still have an open door today. There's opposition, of course. We're going to always have opposition if we're busy about the Lord's work. But most of all, there's overcoming. But here in verse uh, 10, I believe it is, there's an interesting verse here. It says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Many believe this is talking about the tribulation period. Uh, the true church will be called out before this time of tribulation that comes upon the earth during this time. And so the church of Philadelphia uh, stayed true to the word of God. And then there's the last church, the church of Laodicea. Uh, they have the danger of lukewarmness, self-sufficiency, unconscious of spiritual need. They're rich and have need of nothing, the Lord tells us. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I Love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Here in uh, verse 20 of chapter 3, speaking to the church of Laodicea, actually speaking to the individual individuals within the church of Laodicea, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him 
and will sup with him and he with me. John Walbert tells us in the history of the human race, no one has been harder to reach for Christ than the religionist, the one who is quite satisfied with the measure of his devotion to God and with the items which to him represent religion. The indifference embodied in the term lukewarm in this passage seems to extend to their conviction respecting the central doctrines of the Christian faith, such as the necessity of the new birth and the need for a dramatic change in life and perspective required of a true Christian. The result is churchianity, membership in an organization without biblical Christianity and without membership in the body of Christ accompanied by the miracle of the new birth. That was a quote by John F. Walbert, one of the second uh, presidents of the uh, Dallas Theological Institute. Another thing I want to bring out this morning, not only the fact that there was a uh, primary and practical and prophetic anticipation of the seven churches, but there also is a comparison of the seven churches with the seven parables. Now, the seven churches sort of lie within the sphere of of the seven parables. In other words, uh, if you go from the cross to the second coming, it pretty well includes the seven parables, but the seven churches begin at Pentecost and will end uh, there at the rapture. I guess one of my favorite is uh, here in Matthew chapter 13, the seven parables of the kingdom. Here in chapter 13, verse 33, this is probably out of the seven, my favorite, probably the most, the one that's the most easy or the easiest to see, is the parable of the leaven. Here in verse 33, it says another parable. He spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. And of course, uh, we're seeing here false doctrine. Anytime you see a, a typologically a woman in Scripture, it represents religion. And so this uh, particular parable parallels with the uh, church of Thyatira, the church that existed uh, for a thousand years during the Dark Ages, when the Bible was chained to the pulpit and the common people weren't able to interpret the Word of God. And so we find the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven. Leaven in the Bible always represents sin, uh, corruption. And it says, which the woman took and hid. Why would you hide the gospel? But this woman is hiding this leaven in the meal. The meal in the word of God represents the word of God. Till the whole was leavened. The woman is introducing false doctrine into the word of God until eventually everything is leavened and is cast into the fire of the tribulation hour. Well, there's seven parables and seven churches, and they all parallel one another. The church of Ephesus was a beginning church, the apostolic church, 
And we find the parable of the sower is beginning to sow the seed of the word of God. And of course, the dragnet represents the church of Laodicea, pulling in both the good and the bad fish. And of course, one day we find that Philadelphia represents those who will be caught up and the uh, church of Laodicea, those who are cast out into the tribulation period. Well, that ends the seven churches. The seven churches represent basically the whole church age until finally the Lord catches the church out. Notice here in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Folks, that open door, I believe, is the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe we're right there on the doorstep of the end of the age and the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ church. So thank you for tuning in this morning. We're going to close on that. Maybe come back later, we'll give some tidbits concerning the parallelism between the churches and the parables. Thank you for tuning in. We love each and every one. Stay safe, and most of all, keep looking up.